You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 36. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, guys, so uh, we've got uh, another Q&A episode for you today, and we've actually got a ton of questions. So we're going to dispense with the small talk today, and we're just going to hop right in. Hi, I've been trying to figure out how the whole concept of multiple partners would work. You know, I've broken it down to the multiple energies that a person has. There's time, there's sex, there's emotions, and wealth as far as long-term relationships go. And I think that it's it's pretty obvious that genetically we are not monogamous, but it is founded in our civilization. But how does a group of people or a society actually interact and raise children and also not get jealous? Long-term, I just, I just kind of want to know how it works. How does, how does the psyche work? How does the energies expenditure work in that process. You know, I, I would love to go through life without feeling jealous or to go through life without feeling guilty for being attracted to somebody who is not my spouse. Uh, I'd love to hear back from you. Thanks. Bye. I really love the like honest search for answers there. I will say, you know, this is, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's, that's basically asking the whole theory of polyamory, but I'm going to do our best to answer your questions here. The first part, you know, you say that it's it's broken down into time and sex and emotions and wealth and longer term relationships. And, you know, essentially that sounds to me like you're saying that you realize those are finite and you're unsure of how to divide them. And my answer to that's going to be you're exactly right. You have an unlimited amount of love to give, but you don't have an unlimited amount of time and energy and resources. And negotiating how you're going to divide what you do have and realizing when you're too saturated to give any more are two huge skills that you have to learn as a part of being polyamorous and being in open relationships. So you say that you don't think that genetically we're monogamous, but it's founded uh, in our civilization. I think you're exactly right about that as well. Anybody who believes in evolution automatically has to believe that we're not genetically monogamous, at least to a certain extent, I think. The thing as far as civilization, I'm not going to go too deep down this rabbit hole. It's really interesting. I used to talk about all the cultures in the world that have not been monogamous over the course of human history. I just actually, though, recently listened to an interview with Sam Harris, which is a podcast I listen to, The Waking Up Podcast with Sam Harris. He actually interviewed somebody recently who talks a little bit about polyamory, who was a sociology professor, who did a great bit of talking actually about how he thinks that monogamy was necessary to kind of build 
the industrial enlightened world in which we live in now, but that it's no longer necessary because of where we're at. I think it's a really interesting theory. I'm not really sure it matters with as far as where we're at going forward, but I would agree with you on those two points that you make. Yeah. And as far as not getting jealous, real quick fact for you is that isn't something that you will ever not ever have. Even the most enlightened of us, even, you know, I'm putting the air quotes. Air quotes, yeah. Yeah, air quotes around that. Or the 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 seasoned polyamorous or open relationship person. We have jealousy. Jealousy sneaks up. We have feelings, whether they're knee-jerk reactions or they're actually founded in some real relationship thing that needs to be handled. We all experience jealousy. And the difference between someone who is seasoned with polyamory and and their dealings with jealousy versus someone who is coming from a monogamous place is understanding that these feelings are not something that control you or that you have to have. Like our society tells us all the time that, well, if you love someone, you have to be jealous. You have to be angry when they talk to somebody else. And when you change your mindset around that, you don't have to have jealousy and that jealousy isn't this thing that has to rule you. It's simply emotions that you need to process and work through. It really kind of changes that whole element of jealousy being this thing that is even necessary not to ever have. We all have jealousy. It all pops up. And sometimes it's not even because our partner has a partner. It might be because your partner has a job and you're jealous that it gets more hours than you do. That's my personal jealousy that I've gotten before. So it's okay to be jealous. The idea is to have less of it and to be able to recognize it in a way of how do I just deal with this and what are these emotions and from here, what do I do? It's about your actions after jealousy, not really the jealousy itself. Yeah, a couple things here. One thing that I found to be very helpful, and some people find this to be helpful and some people don't, and I really think it's just how you conceptualize and if you find it helpful for you. One thing that I've found helpful is to get away from thinking of jealousy as an emotion and to think of jealousy usually as a group of other emotions that we're feeling that we tend to just clump under jealousy and not really do the work to identify. So when you say you're feeling jealous, what are you really feeling though? Are you feeling left out of something? Are you worried that you're not going to get your needs met? There's tons of other emotions. Is there something that you're angry about? There's tons of other emotions that that fall under what we call jealousy. And, you know, one of the first steps to dealing with jealousy is to identify what it is you're actually feeling and then to ask yourself, okay, well, here, here are the emotions I'm actually feeling. Are these a sign of something actually that I'm missing out on, something that I need, something that I need to, you know, are my needs not getting met in some way? Are my wants not getting met in some way? And if the answer is yes, are you feeling jealous because there's something that you're not getting that you need or that you want, then you have to look at your agreements and look at negotiating those to make sure that you're getting your needs and wants met. If the answer to that is no, you're you're feeling jealous for reasons that don't have to do with you not getting your needs met. Maybe it's just you're just jealous because that's an activity. Maybe you're talking about sexual activity and that's an activity that you wanted to be the only person that that person did something with or did that particular activity with because it made you feel special or whatever the case may be, then you have to work on self-soothing and comforting and knowing when to own that it's your feelings doesn't really have anything to do with the other people involved and you've got to do some self-work on that. Last thing I'll say to this is I think a lot of people who are newer to polyamory tend to think that the jealousy is going to arise around sex. 
And I find that that often is not the case. Once you get over kind of the cultural norms of you're only supposed to have sex with your your spouse, really that jealousy about sex tends to disappear pretty quickly. And it tends to be about the smaller everyday things that are involved in like, you know, the romantic part of polyamory. Um, we have uh, one one very good friend who says, you know, it's it's not about who's fucking who, it's about where the spoons are getting put away in the house, right? It's that kind of small stuff. That is the stuff that we would tell you about jealousy. How does a group of people or society interact and raise children? I think that how... The changes we would need to make to society to become more of a poly-friendly society, um, first off, a lot of people do have multiple partners, whether it's cheating or, you know, they're just dating and it's not incredibly serious. Um, So a lot of people do have multiple partners. I think that's a very broad conversation. I think there probably need to be a lot of talk around the legal changes that would need to take place, take some of the benefits and responsibilities and things like that that are involved in a marriage, like some of the rights that you get right now and make them more easily like contracted. I think that would be that. I think that's, I think how society would need to change the whole for polyamory is a very broad discussion. Not feeling jealous and guilty. I think that the best way to deal with not feeling guilty is to talk about a couple of the more common myths that I think that people bring into non-monogamy from the monogamous world that tends to make them feel guilty. I think the first one is that you have to be everything to somebody. Like you should, one person, like this person should be enough. They should fulfill you in every way or vice versa. You should fulfill them in every way. Like you guys are like the missing piece of each other. And, you know, there's that one person out there and you guys should be able to give each other everything that you need. And that's the only person you should need if you need something else or something wrong with you. Yeah. And that's simply not true. And we don't do it when it's like, say, for instance, I have some sort of hobby or interest that I'm interested in. And my spouse isn't interested. Say I want to go do knitting and my spouse is not interested. If I went and found a knitting partner, no one would say, well, why do you have this friend? Well, are you, are you not happy in your marriage? Well, no, I'm happy in my marriage. I just have someone else that I like spending time with and who happens to like knitting too. That tends to be a huge sort of myth just around our spouses, but we only do it when it comes to another partner, a romantic partner. The other myth that I would like to point out is the idea of you only can be attracted to or find someone sexy when they are your spouse. Once you're married, suddenly you don't have eyes anymore. And that's just not true. And I don't understand how this is a myth. Like nobody actually believes this. I think it's all just something that we pretend we believe to get along in society, but nobody actually believes this. Yeah. I've even talked to very religious people and you talk to them long enough to finally met. Well, okay. I, I do find other people attractive, but it's wrong. Yeah. The thing is, is that we don't suddenly put a ring on it and our eyes drop out of our head, right? It's not how that works. And It is okay to have interest and recognize the positives of another person. If I said I looked at someone and could admire them for their intelligence, or I could admire them for their work ethic, or I could admire them for their ability to cook, all of that's fine. But as soon as I say I admire someone because of what they look like, other than my spouse, that's somehow bad. And we can recognize that someone else is amazing in some way other than our spouse and not act on it. That's the difference between cheating. But if you're in an arrangement with your partner that is accepting of this and open to this, 
then why wouldn't you act on that? If you enjoy it, if you enjoy a person, if you like the way they look, you like the way that they act, why not embrace it? If you and your partner have decided that's okay with both of you. And that's really where a lot of the guilt comes from is this idea that if we do these things where we have we don't have that one true partner or we have interest in someone else, that somehow we love less. And that is just not true. And we don't do this with sibling groups. We don't do this with children. We don't say, oh, well, you know, you have little Tommy that you want to spend time with and you also have your daughter, Jenny. Obviously, you must not like Jenny because you hang out with Tommy. No, we, we, we as humans have multiple people in our lives that we have relationships with, even when we're monogamous. So it's not a whole lot different when we're not monogamous. There's just a romantic sexual element to it. One of the best things I think about Polly is that you get to express different parts of yourself with different people. I think one of the easiest examples of this is I talk about, you know, how I'm a switch. And with Cassie, who is entirely, you know, uh, on the top end of that spectrum, top dom end of that spectrum, my toppy side is not something that I get to explore. That's a part of myself that I only get to explore with other people. But this isn't just true for sex or for play. We had a partner years ago, and her and I would get up and go on runs at, at like six in the morning. That is not something any of my other partners were doing. <laughs> not uh, this or one. desired to do. Never. So you get to be different parts of yourself with experience different parts of yourself with different people. And that's an amazing thing. So that's that. But also it can come down to the emotional too, not just activities. I get to be more of a nurturing, guiding partner with Amanda, whereas with you, we're very competitive type A personalities together and we have different interactions. We get to kind of experience different emotions and levels of connection with people. So it's not just activities. It's also like the emotion aspect to it. I think the last big myth here that drives this whole feeling guilty is the thought that you're going to do damage to your relationship by pursuing this, right? So you're bad for wanting it because you're wanting something that's going to damage your relationship. When my first experience with Polly, Cassie and I had been together and Cassie wanted to have a threesome. And my relationship with Cassie was my first really serious relationship. And I had the whole vanilla world, you know, and friends and things like that telling me, well, look, threesomes are awesome. You should definitely do it. But it's not something that you want to do with somebody that you're hoping to be with, right? Like, it's going to fuck things up. And yeah, you should do it, but do it with somebody you don't give a fuck about. That way, you know, when it all goes south, it doesn't matter because it's going to fuck things up. And the turning point for me with polyamory was when we did finally do that after we'd been together longer and I'd gotten more comfortable and I was comfortable that Cassie wasn't going to leave me over something. Nothing changed. And I realized, you know, the turning point for me was realizing that I could do this without my relationship exploding. And once you realize that, and once you look around and you see, and you know, I, I didn't have the benefit at the time of having any familiarity really for years after that with the non-monogamous community at all. And you, especially with your kind of doing the research on this early, right? You're asking questions, you're looking around and you have the benefit of being able to look at the enormous number of people who have poly relationships successfully, and it works, and their relationships don't explode in their faces. I think that that is a major thing. We have, you're, you're looking at pursuing polyamory, we actually have an entire like hour-long training 
on five like crucial things that our clients who we work with for polyamory coaching do to build healthy, open relationships without exploding the one that they've got currently. I will put the link to that in the show notes. It's also, you can find it at atouchoflavor.com forward slash AOR for amazing open relationships. I will put the link to that in the show notes and I would suggest that you watch it. One more myth I'll throw in the myth busting that I think that screws people, makes people feel guilty about poly. It kind of goes with the screwing up your relationship. It's this thought that I think most people have when they're getting into poly, the fear that your partner is going to go out and they're going to have sex with somebody and that person's going to be better at sex than you, right? And your partner's going to leave you or they're going to be better at something else and your partner's going to leave you. But generally, a, a lot of times, you know, when you hear this, it has to do with sex. And the advice that I typically give for dealing with that is kind of counterintuitive and Cassie always laughs at me when I say it. But I think that the first step to dealing with that is the kind of harsh but honest realization that there is always somebody better than you at something. Yeah. And it's okay. Your partner loves you and wants to be with you for your unique you that is made up of everything that you are. They're not going to leave you over someone who can make better pancakes than you or can throw a Frisbee faster than you are. And they're not going to leave you because someone is simply better in bed than you are. If they're going to leave you, it's going to be because there's many things in your relationship that are not being fulfilled. It has nothing to do with someone being better than you at something because there's always going to be somebody. Our next question is from Peter, Wisconsin, and he's 36 years old. He says, I can't find the right girl to be with. I just wish I can find the right one for myself. What do you think I'm doing wrong? Peter, the first thing to realize is that you may not be doing anything wrong. Sometimes we don't find the right one, especially when we're looking for the right one. You might be not finding a partner simply because you are looking for the right one. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when we have a big ideal in our mind of exactly what our partner is supposed to be to be the one, a lot of times we start kind of scratching away a lot of other possibilities and a lot of opportunities that otherwise could have formed into a relationship. It could have been something that uh, we may not have thought was going to hit it off right away. Me and Rigel, for example, when we first met the first time, we couldn't even stand each other. Like we didn't even like who, who each other were. But the second time we met, we kind of hit it off. And from there, you know, grew. So if you're going out with this idea of trying to find the right girl or the one, most likely you're excluding a lot of people. That being said, there could be a couple of things that you could be doing wrong. Uh, we had a podcast episode that we'll link in the show notes that is all about some of the things that you may be doing wrong as far as dating and having issues finding a partner. But I would really examine the idea of you looking for the right person. Because a lot of times, I'm not trying to go back to that old saying, like when we're not looking, we'll find people. That's BS. Like you actually do have to apply some time and energy to looking for partners. You know, if you're sitting at home playing Xbox and never going out and never meeting anybody, obviously you're not going to find a date. But if you're putting a lot of weight into this idea of trying to find the perfect mate for you right now, most likely you're not going to find that person because 
that person that you meet is not going to live up to that the first time that you interact with somebody. It's going to take getting to know someone and interacting with people. So maybe taking that date with somebody that you're like, well, that person's kind of good looking and they seem like they might be nice, but I don't think they're the one. Still take that date. If you are not going to regret sitting across the table from them, it's worth sitting down and actually having a conversation and interacting and seeing if it goes somewhere. The issue with this question that I have is it's a very broad question, right? It's, it's, you're saying, what are you doing wrong? And that's really kind of impossible to answer because you aren't giving us any information to make that judgment with. So there could be a lot of things would be my answer. What I will say is just as a very general thing, if you're listening to this podcast, I have to assume that you're either poly or kinky or you've gotten horribly lost somewhere. So (laughs) the thing that I can tell you that I think will be broadly applicable to you, regardless of what you're currently doing right now, is that you want to look for your own kind. If you look at like a lot of the advice, particularly in the kink world, that was written even 15 years ago that talks about how to find partners, one of the things that you'll hear a lot is basically it's a lot of advice on how to find a vanilla person who might be interested and then how to kind of try and work them into kink and see how that goes. That's certainly something that you can do. But in this day and age of the internet and dating sites and OkCupid and FetLife and munches munches everywhere, I don't think that's the best idea any longer. Because the problem is you can spend... If you got somebody that you're already interested in, maybe you run into another way and you guys hit it off, or maybe you've been dating them for a while and then you realize that you're kinky or you realize that you're poly, then yeah, by all means, you want to break that conversation to them and see what they're interested in, what they're not interested in, see if you can make that work. But with there now being uh, such a, a big fishing pool, so to speak, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to put in all that time and all that energy into a relationship where you guys may be incompatible on some really fundamental levels. The piece of advice that I will hand out without having any further information is make sure that you're looking among your own kind. You know, if you're kinky, go out and find some munches. You know, get on FetLife. Don't use it as a dating site. It's not a dating site. Use it to find some munches in your area. Go out, hang out around kinky people, make kinky friends. Kinky friends have other kinky friends who are single. If you're poly, find some poly munches in your area. You know, get on OkCupid, put that you're poly in your profile so that you're attracting those kind of people. So that's some kind of general advice that I would give you. Without any more information as to what you're doing wrong, I can't really go on an entire coverage of dating here because that's what I would have to do without having more information about what you're doing and what you're experiencing. But what I will tell you is we have a lot of resources, some really good resources that we've already done on dating that I would refer you to. There's the podcast episode that Cassie mentioned that talks about basically mistakes you're making that are leaving you alone. We have a couple of blog posts that are linked. It's kind of like a part one and part two. I will link both of those in the show notes. They're actually some of the most popular content on our site. The first one's called Lousy Self-Awareness, Keeping You Finding a Kinky Partner and Here's How to Fix It. And the second one is called You're Not Alone Finding a Kinky Partner. They are very, very in-depth guides. They cover a lot of ground, everything from like doing the self-work to figuring out what you like to 
where to look for people online, how to find people in person, even like tips for approaching and things like that. So I'm going to link those in the show notes. I would highly suggest that you look at those resources that we have. I think you find them very helpful on your journey. Even if you are not kinky and you're poly, they're going to be still very applicable to you. You may have to ignore a couple sentences here and there, but they're going to be incredibly helpful for you. So go take a look at those articles, you know, implement some of that stuff, give some of that stuff a try. And if you have any other questions, reach back out with some more specific details on what's going on and we'll go from there. Our next question is from Camilla, 52 years old in Florida. Me and my boyfriend of 10 months were having sex and I said I wanted to watch him get a blowjob. He said that was something he's always wanted. We talked about it a few more times, and I told him that I wanted to be involved. He didn't like this idea and said it would be a big-time turnoff. So we didn't talk about it much more. One night, we're at home. He gets on his phone. I didn't hear much of the conversation, but he was real quiet and kind of nervous. 30 minutes later, someone knocked on the door. One of his friends walked in along with a girl, and the girl just started sucking my boyfriend's dick right in front of me. I loved it, and I hated it. He had an amazing time with her, but things have never really been the same since. We tried doing the same thing one more time with the same girl, but it made things even worse. They're really bad. My boyfriend can't look at me. I think he might be in love with her. What do I do? So the first thing I would say is, I don't think this is an in love thing. I don't think that the question that you're asking as far as, you know, I think he might be in love with her. What do I do? Is I don't think this is a my boyfriend got his dick sucked and now he's in love with somebody. I think this comes down to more of a interaction and the new experience stuff going on. So I think it would be a lot easier for you to deal with if you can remove that idea of my boyfriend is suddenly falling in love with somebody else because they sucked his dick. Yeah. So I want to separate two things out here. Maybe he did fall in love with her because she sucked his dick. I don't want to rule that out completely. I don't want to say that's impossible, right? That's uh, somewhat of a low standard for love. I don't know if I'd call it love. Maybe he's falling in serious lust. Infatuation. Infatuation, a new relationship energy. That's all possible. But I want to separate that out because him falling in love with her doesn't really have any connection to the problem you guys are having, which is, you know, things are really bad, him not being able to look at you. Those two things aren't necessarily connected. And you need to kind of separate them in your mind right now. People get in love, get in lust, uh, fall in infatuation, have new relationship energy, even really heavy new relationship energy all the time without it ruining what they already have with their current partner. That is its own issue. That is a symptom of probably several issues that really don't have anything to do with his feelings for this new person. I wouldn't harp on the interest to the other partner. I would say it's more important to look at why there is this, you know, not looking at me, things like that. And with some of the things that you mentioned as far as your partner not looking at you and, and the interactions that you're having... Some of this may fall into the area of guilt or some sort of mixed feelings about the experience that happened as far as the interactions that the two of you may have had or that he had. Sometimes we act on our fantasies, right? Like we go out and we do something 
And we don't really know how that's going to affect our relationship. We don't know how that's going to affect our interactions with our partner. So some of this may be some feelings that came out of that and they haven't been sorted through. You guys haven't sat down and and figured out what's going on here and why these things are coming up. We need to be honest about this. This was the way this went down is bad. I mean, this was very poorly negotiated, it sounds like. It doesn't sound like the negotiation was ever even really finished on this topic. You know, if the last conversation that you guys had is you want to be involved in him saying he doesn't think that's going to work for him, clearly this this negotiation never finished. The way this went down is problematic. And I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm not saying it's your fault. I don't know. And I don't really particularly care who's to blame about the situation. What I am saying is that with the way that this happened, quite frankly, I would be surprised if there weren't issues arising out of it. I think there needs to be a very serious discussion around where you're both at now, what you're both feeling about the situation, so that you you guys understand where you're both at so you can address it. Yeah, I think the bigger issue is not addressing what may have come up. It sounds like this situation happened and you guys are sort of like going into just trying to act like everything was the same. And what you're noticing is things are not the same because there are some of these built up feelings and and thoughts and things like that. And you guys actually haven't worked through them. And they're showing up in ways that you're not enjoying or wanting. So it really needs to be a conversation. And from there, once you guys have that stuff out in the open, you can start working on sort of reconnecting. And from that point, also have a little bit more of a a discussion around this particular subject of if you guys are going to do this again, what everyone's okay with. So that way you can have a better experience. As I said before, sometimes the first time we act on a fantasy or act on something that we want to do, it doesn't go well. But it particularly doesn't go well when we didn't plan for it very well. And that seems to be like what's going on here is there wasn't a lot of good planning or or talk about what was going to happen. And now both of you are sort of dealing with the feelings and emotions that came after. And there really needs to be some conversation on that and conversation for the future so that you don't end up in the same situation again. Just to elaborate here more on that, I think there's there's two conversations you really need to seriously have at this point. Number one, you guys need to have a conversation about what's already happened. You know, what happened? What went wrong with it? What are the feelings that came up? What lessons can you learn from how this was handled initially? Okay, so you guys need to have that conversation and you need to figure out a plan to work through the emotions that you guys are currently feeling with what's already happened. All right. The second conversation needs to be about if you guys are going to do anything else like this in the future. I mean, have you maybe discovered through this that non-monogamy isn't for you? I will say that I would be a little hesitant if I were you. If, if non-monogamy was something you thought you were interested in before, and now you're kind of like, eh, fuck that, right? I would be a little hesitant, I think, to make that determination off of this experience. Because as I said, if you guys weren't feeling bad about this experience with the way it happened, I would be surprised. Uh, So I think this may be something that you want to and maybe you even want to sit on it for a little while and and kind of work on some of the issues that have come up already and try and repair some of those things. 
Um, and then maybe this is something that you approach again and you do a much better job of negotiating it when you do. Something else here is if you guys do move forward, I want to talk about having the same person come out. Very, very rarely, hardly ever will I say you might need to consider who you're doing stuff with in terms of like, you know, who your partner's doing stuff with because it makes you uncomfortable. This is one of those very, very rare circumstances because there was this kind of bad negotiation up front and you may be feeling like your trust is betrayed to a certain extent. And because it sounds to me like your boyfriend hasn't really grown close to this person, just that, you know, she's come over and given him head twice. You may really want to consider if you do move forward, if this is a person that you guys are going to be able to do that with in a healthy manner. Yeah, if it's something that's always going to bring up hurt and bad emotions, then it's always going to be a bad experience. And if this is something that is something that you're doing for fun and enjoyment and things like that, especially if this is not like a serious relationship thing that hasn't formed, it may be better to experiment that with someone where those feelings aren't attached to it yet. So that way you can have a more fun, exciting experience done the right way when you do it the next time. Our next question is from Wilson, 32, from Arizona. My wife has a boyfriend who is very aggressive and overt when it comes to her. She is totally a different person when she's around him. She gives him a different kind of respect. She will have sex with him whenever he wants it. The humiliation and jealousy used to drive me crazy, but at some point it turned sexual, and now I'm turned on by all this. What are your thoughts about this and why is this? So when I, I first read this question the first time, I kind of got this like hint of like this new boyfriend's being like disrespectful to the the wife. And then I reread it again. I was like, that's not actually what, I'm what picking he's up. saying. Yeah. yeah, that's not actually what he's saying. When when he said she's totally a different person when he's around, like at first it kind of tweaked me like, oh, and then I was like, it doesn't say in a bad way. Like, it doesn't say that at all. I'm getting the impression that you're noticing your wife maybe being slightly more submissive to this person or that he's a little bit more of like a dominant personality. Or quite a bit of more of a dominant personality, it sounds like. Yeah. And she might be being more submissive or definitely is being more sexual, it sounds like, based on your thing. If that's working for everybody, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm happy that my, my initial reading was not actually correct on this. I'm, I'm actually very happy about that. It is not uncommon for people to act differently with different partners. They shouldn't really be acting different to you necessarily, but we do act different with different partners. So especially when you start getting like power dynamics... You might have someone who acts very, very submissive to one person, but very, very dominant to another. So that isn't something that is actually all that strange. It's pretty common. It is pretty common. You know, the other thing to this all, too, is you don't say how new of a relationship this is, right? And anytime we're in a new relationship, there's that honeymoon period, if you want to call it the honeymoon period, or 
uh, new relationship energy, or I just call it the bright shiny phase, right? Where we're way more sexual with this person than we will probably be on a normal level. And a lot of times than we are with our current partner or partners. And there has been some research that the novelty of changing relationships is actually more of a turn on for women. The novelty of new partners is actually more of a turn on for women, typically, than it is for men. This is not an uncommon thing that your wife gets a new partner and that they're looking to, they're, they're having sex a lot more often. Now, if this was something that was bothering you, like it a lot of times can bother people if, especially if maybe their sexual needs aren't getting met, you know, like your sexual needs aren't getting met by your wife, and then all of a sudden she's having sex every, every day with this new guy, um, you know, I'd say that you need to have a conversation with your wife and that, you know, part of it is your wife would need to be mindful of, of your needs and, you know, the, the dichotomy between your needs getting fulfilled and what's going on with this new partner, and also that some of it would be you needing to recognize that there is an RE and that that happens. But it doesn't sound like at this point that that you're coming to us that that is actually the case. Yeah, now it's turning you on. So my my thing is, is that why is this? Well, really, you just got to look at your own enjoyment. And I like to tell folks a lot, especially about like fetishes or things that they're enjoying sexually, don't try to doctor fill yourself. Like you'll rack your brain trying to pinpoint why. If it works for you, if you're enjoying it right now, just embrace it. Like enjoy what it is rather than trying to pinpoint some 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 reason for it. Cassie likes mermaids. Yeah. Like, could I sit there and doctor fill myself and try to figure out why I like girls that have fishtails? I could, or I could. Just Go. look at your very small supply of mermaid porn. Yes, yes, exactly. And again, anybody out there who makes mermaid porn, send it my way. Um, but regardless, it doesn't really matter why. If it's working for you, if you're enjoying it, things may change in this dynamic. Uh, as Rigel was talking about, there might be a drop-off at some point where she's having less sex or something like that. But just enjoy it. Like, if this is working for you and this is something that feels good right now, enjoy it. Don't try to overanalyze it and make it something that doesn't need to be. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to try and figure out why. I don't think most of us know why we like things that we like. Get all Freud there for a minute, but I don't think it really does you any good. What I will say that might might be helpful to you is that this is not an uncommon fetish. So, uh, you know, it's whether it's it's, you know, cuckolding or, you know, hot wives or whatever. There's there's various phrases floating around for it. Um, I have my Tumblr and my Tumblr has my porn. And a lot of my porn, you know, feeds that I'm subscribed to are female dominant porn feeds. And a good percentage of the stuff that comes through, even though it isn't my kink, is like cuckolding. Like this is a very, very common fetish. Uh, so can't tell you why it's turning you on necessarily, but I can tell you there's a lot of other people that it turns on as well. And maybe it doesn't have to do with her being with somebody else. It may just be the vibe that she's giving out. Is she being more sexual? Is she giving off that like frisky vibe and you're picking up on it and it's hot? Sometimes when we have new partners, we have a little bit more of that sexual energy. We're putting that stuff out. So regardless of what it is that you're picking up that you're finding hot and awesome and a turn on, 
just enjoy it. Something that may be helpful to you is if you are feeling you're kind of like, man, I don't I don't understand these feelings like I don't like I don't know like maybe it's a little weird like a lot of times especially with men when it's submissive things you know there's there's this whole kind of stigma around being submissive as a male I actually talk about that you know quite a bit sometimes and not only is there a whole stigma around being submissive as a male but there's an additional stigma for the kind of thing that you're talking about right so if you find yourself in a position where you're questioning yourself on this and maybe it would be helpful for you to understand that there's other people who are into this and you're not weird and it is okay. Go on FetLife, search for like cuckold, you know, or hot wife or whatever. Find some groups that are filled with people just like you. Go in there, hang out, listen to people talk, ask some questions. Like I said, Tumblr, there is a shit ton of cuckold stuff on Tumblr. I don't even look for it and it comes through my feed all the time. So Maybe go on there, maybe, you know, and, and when I say Tumblr has a ton of porn, but there's also, you know, people also write. I mean, it's a blogging platform at heart. So there's cuckold porn that comes through my feed, but then there's also plenty of stuff that comes through my feed that's like people writing about cuckolding and why they like it and why they do it and how to do it and that kind of stuff. So take a look for that kind of stuff. You know, we talked about it earlier with the dating. Find your kind, find your people, find the people who are into the same thing you. It's always helpful to surround yourself with a community of people who enjoy the same things that you enjoy, even if it's online, because then you understand that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with being who you are. Lots of other people are into this stuff and you can get some tips. I mean, I've got cuckolding tips that I never needed to know, but I've got them now, right? (laughs) So you can get some tips and ideas on how to do things and things that you can try, you know, to maybe make this something that you enjoy even more. I want to have a Tumblr full of mermaid porn. It just doesn't happen. I can find I can find a shit ton of mermaids on Instagram and on other things, but there is no mermaid I don't know if porn. Instagram allows nudity. I understand that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I, I can like, find. I masturbate to them anyways. Yes, I was like, don't criticize my masturbation potter. Like it may be something that's an advertisement for the Ren Fair. I don't care. It's hot. It looks good. I'm happy with it. Cassie is masturbating to your pictures. Instagram mermaid chicks. All of you. But regardless, if some of you want to have some mermaid porn, please email me. Um, you can find me through a touchofflavor.com. Next question is from Todd, 42 from DC. I've got a question. If I'm talking to a Dom for the first time online, I normally ask if we can get together for dinner or at least talk on the phone or doing a video conference before I start calling her mistress, master, etc. Until I get to know her a little bit. Is this disrespectful? From the dominant person perspective, no. I don't expect anybody to call me mistress or call me madam or call me whatever simply because they're talking to me. And what I will say is, is don't call people things that they don't want to be called. Like, I get ticked off when someone says, you know, Mistress Cassie, that sort of thing, because I say madam. But expecting a title before getting to know someone is not necessarily something that someone presumptuous. should be... Presumptuous? Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very presumptuous. It's, it's basically saying, well, if you're talking to me, I'm expecting you to acknowledge me as being your top or dominant. And... That's just not appropriate in my in, in my standpoint. 
I know there's a lot of dominants out there that want to be addressed that way. But I, I think that there are a lot that recognize that this is not something where I am your master or your mistress or your madam or daddy or whatever, right off the bat. It is the idea of getting to know somebody. And so I would say no. What I would say is, is that don't call somebody something that they don't want to be called because that's a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people call me mistress, it's madam, or just call me Cassie. But it's kind of this idea that that isn't something that you have to do. It's not my right to make you call me something that may have some connection to a relationship or something like that that we don't have. I will preface this by saying that if somebody wants you to call them mistress right off the bat and you want to call them mistress right off the bat and that's floating both your boats, do it. Like, I am not the one to tell you that you are wrong for doing that. That's fine. If you both want to do it, do it. Where I have an issue is that in certain communities, right, in the BDSM world, certain people and then certain communities, it is expected that if you go by a title that you're expected to call somebody right off the bat. And it it actually goes a little further than this because I don't actually think that at the end of the day, this is a title thing. This goes to this entire idea of if I'm dominant and you're submissive and we interact, you are supposed to interact with me in a submissive way. And that is bullshit. And, and there are communities that expect that. Like, if you are submissive, you're expected to interact with every dominant with this level of respect. Here's my thing. Beyond just the basic respect that I would give to anybody, you haven't earned my respect by giving yourself a title or even by other people giving you a title. There is no fucking certification for any of this stuff that entails any level of respect for me for your self-appointed or even if other people give it to you, mostly self-appointed a lot of times title. Or even if it's not self-appointed, title that doesn't actually really have any clear definition and therefore doesn't actually mean anything. And quite frankly, like I said, beyond the basic respect that I give to everybody as being a human being who exists, my respect is not something that I give very easily. And my submission is not something that I give very easily because that is not something that I am giving to somebody that I don't respect. I do not interact with uppercase types in a submissive way. I don't think it's a good idea for anybody to be required to interact with somebody that way. Like I said, if it, if it hits you off to do it right from their bat, that's fine. But I don't think it should be required. I don't think people should be demanding it of you. I do not call people, even in some of the more formal communities, by their titles, unless it's somebody that I deeply respect as a person. There are... Only three people who I am not involved in a power exchange relationship that I will call master, and one of them actually is recently deceased. And that is purely just out of the level of respect that I have for them as the amazing people that they are. Like I said, to me, to me, you know, my my submission is something to be earned. My submission is to be given to somebody that I respect. It is not something that anybody should expect from me right off the bat. And they're certainly not going to fucking get it if they do. I would say that you're la no, this is no, because this is a thing. Like, I, I actually think this is I think in some communities, I think this is a like a deep base level problem 
Like that you're expecting things for people that you have not earned in any way whatsoever. So with that being said, like I said, I will end my rant tags here. But if you want to call them something right off the bat and that's something you're comfortable with and they're comfortable with it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with you wanting to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong if you like following protocols and being submissive to everybody you meet who's identified as, you know, as a dom or a master. That's fine if that's something that you want to do. But I don't think there should be any expectation of it from you. And I don't think that if it's something that, you know, you're meeting these people online and you're saying you want to get to know them first, I don't think it's something that anybody should be demanding from you to do before you're comfortable to do it. All right, guys. So this is actually wraps up part one of, uh, of a Q&A. Uh, we're going to do a Q&A episode the next time. We still have like five or six questions that we didn't get to this go around and we don't want to make people wait to get them out. So instead of doing a like a two hour long podcast episode, we're going to do this and we're going to do the other ones and we'll be releasing it uh, immediately thereafter. So remember guys, if you have any questions, send them in and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. Maybe he is falling in love with her because he sucked her dick. That's. That you said was, that backwards. Uh, I did. Maybe. I mean, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what else happened. It does, though. My Tumblr all the fucking time is cuckold stuff. Cuckold and lately, like the three things that come across my, like when you hear into femdom that come across my feed all the time that I'm not into, but constantly come across my feed because anytime you follow femdom stuff, it comes across cuckolding chastity and lately giantism. Like, I don't know. My Tumblr has been going through a phase of like giantism, like women putting tiny little men in their pussies lately. Like, I don't really know what it is, but there's a lot of it currently floating around.